Good morning, everybody. If you'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 41 through 44. If you're like me and you like to carry an old-fashioned paper Bible and you're not on one of your application things, I'd also love you to go ahead and look up in the book of Matthew, <coughs> excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, and just kind of put your finger there or put a marker there, or these nice little fancy ribbons that we have in our Bibles that we can mark it. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 a little bit later in the, in the text today. So Friday night, I was on date night, and it was Valentine's Day, and I promised my wife that I would not check email or answer calls or do anything like that. And I used a little bit of an out because I said, you know, I just happened to glance over my emails. I got one from Justin Braun. Now, I didn't read anything. Justin Braun doesn't just email me. We, we, you know, we, we, if it's an email, it's an official thing. I, I, I better check this. And she said, you get one. <laughs> so I opened that email up and it was from Justin and he was telling me how sick he was and how the plague had fallen upon his family and that if there was any way possible that me or another competent preacher, which I think he apparently thinks I'm a competent preacher, uh, would be willing to fill the pulpit. And just so happens that I'm not preaching at my church this Sunday. I'm now preaching at your church this Sunday. The last four weeks at the well, so when you get an email like that on Friday night and you have your whole day Saturday already planned out, you say, wow, I don't have a whole lot of sermon prep time. Now we just finished a four-week series in stewardship at the well. Now, going to ease your minds because every time someone in a Baptist church says stewardship, everybody grabs their wallet, right? We're going to break that mindset today. So what I did was I tried to take the four-week series that I have just preached at the well and cram it into a 40-minute sermon here. So we're going to try and fly through. You're going to get the abridged, fast version of what we studied over the last four weeks at the well and so I'll do my best to highlight that and share that with you um, today. So let's take a look at the text, Mark chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Ask the Lord to uh, give us clarity today. And then we'll continue. Father, I just ask that you would control my tongue. Lord, Lord, take my attempts to um, highlight and spotlight the things that we've been studying as a church body across the county and, and share those highlights 
with our brothers and sisters here, uh, our, our fellow partner church, Rockfish Valley Baptist. So Lord, be with us today in your name. Amen. So, we created a foundation weeks ago that God owns everything. That's a pretty easy foundation. We, we looked at the series in, in stewardship, and we really should kind of view stewardship uh, this way. We, we, we steward everything that God has for us, not just our money. We steward everything that God has for us. Our time, our thoughts, our talent, our treasure, and our time. So we call it time, talent, and treasure. Stewardship is more than a check. Giving is, is, is less than a few percents of what we actually steward as Christians, as believers, as followers of Christ. And so what we established was that God is the owner of everything. And we spent some time looking into that, sort of reestablishing that foundation, that, that core strong foundation. We wanted to build our mindset of stewardship off of that. I went as far as to say, hey guys, you don't own a truck. You manage one. It's God's truck, and you manage it. And He determines the use of that truck. And guys, ladies, you don't have the gift of just cooking, and you don't have the gift of hospitality. That is given to you. It's owned by God, and you are a manager of that. Uh, you manage God's things. That's what we do. And the difference between a manager and an owner is that a manager can't make major decisions about the usage of the business without consulting the owner. They don't get to make critical changes without consulting the owner. There is a level of trust placed in a manager of something that the owner has with the manager, but ultimately... When something is to be used, especially an alteration to the business, the manager needs to speak to the owner. So we established that first. And then we said, hey, God has the ability and the desire to create a banquet out of a lunchbox. And so we looked, the second week we looked at the story of the five loaves and two fishes, and we, we determined that to be a good steward, stewards have to listen to the Lord. If you pay attention to that story, if you want to revisit the story of the five loaves and two fishes, the, the little boy who provides the lunch that Jesus uses to feed the, the, the multitudes, uh, probably around 15,000 people fed from that, it's because he was listening. He was not distracted. He was not on the hillside running around playing with all the other kids and he wasn't distracted he was there for a purpose he knew what his purpose for being on that hillside was that doesn't mean that he shouldn't play ever it means that he went that day to hear jesus and he packed a lunch and jesus used that lunch and created a banquet because first if you look at the story he's listening to the conversation that jesus is having with his disciples He's listening in to the conversation. Everybody else there was probably preoccupied, and he said, I'm going to hear what's going on. Okay, all I have is this, but you can have it. 
Now, in his mind, again, this is the, the posture often of a steward, is we limit what we have, and we, sometimes, that, sometimes that is a detriment to our stewardship. Because what that little boy could have done was he could have said, all I have is a loaf, a couple loaves and some fish. This isn't going to feed all these people. I'll just go ahead and hold on to it. Or I'll just say to a couple people, hey, if you want a little bit of this, I'll, just, I'll handle this on my own. I'll, I'll feed the, just a couple people that are around me. What he did was he said, hey, Jesus, this is all I got, but you can have it. And Jesus blew it up. He took a lunch and he made a banquet. So the second foundation that we sort of created was that God has the power to take a lunch and turn it into a banquet. Okay? So we come this week to this story of this widow. And it's, the, the story is often referred to as the widow's mite. She actually gave two coins, which equaled a mite or a penny. And what we see here, I, I, I want to share a couple things with you. So the first thing I want to share with you if you're taking notes is stewards understand the now. Now let me stress again, although this is primarily looking at what she gave financially, Jesus is addressing way more than what she gave financially. Okay? But time, talent, and treasure, everything that we have is what God calls us to steward. Not just the finances. And what we see, the, the fact that this woman gives at all is incredibly amazing to me. This woman had nothing. and when, Not the nothing that we think of here in America. Sometimes our culture can often taint our ability to even understand just how nothing this person has. Now, just the, just the culture itself of this time, the, taking this in context, tells us a couple things about this woman. She did not have a son. She did not have a brother-in-law. She was a widow. Because had she had a son or had she had a brother-in-law, it would have been their responsibility to take her in and care for her. That was the culture. That was the requirement of the family. The fact that she's giving at the offering box is signifying she's the head of her household. Because the head of the household came and gave at the offering box. So the fact that she's giving tells us something about her. She not only has nothing, but she has no one. She's completely alone. She has nobody. No family to take her in and care for her. Widows, by law, at this time, in, con in, in, in context of our, mess, of, of our uh, text today, by law, widows who had no son, had no son, uh, brother-in-law, could by law go into the fields after the harvest and pick up what were called the gleanings. So that was the stuff that fell on the ground that didn't go in the harvest cart, that didn't go to the farmer's house. It was the stuff just laying in the field. By law, they could go into the farmer's field after the harvest and take the gleanings, and they wouldn't be charged with theft. That was protected by law. This is how nothing this person had. Widows would often line the streets and wait for the harvest carts to drive by, and if something fell off the cart, they would run out into the street and pick it up. That's how nothing this woman had. 
And so for her to have two copper coins is something amazing. She may have even cleaned up some gleanings and, and had a little extra, and she sold it in the marketplace and got those two copper coins for a, a couple husks of corn, maybe. This is how nothing this woman had. Just like Naomi in the Old Testament, she is a widow who had nothing, but yet she understands something differently. She literally had nothing, but she knew where her provision came from, and she was content with her provision. She was content with her provision. She knew where her, where her provision came from, and she was content in it. And so when she had something, and it was time for the offering, she gave what she had. And so, her giving demonstrates this great principle in stewardship. It deals with the right now. And that's why I say stewards are stewards of the now. Because we love to live lives that say, when I, I will. That's what we love to do. Especially in an American culture. We love to say, when I, I will. Well, when I make more money, I'll give more money. When I have more time, I'll give more time. When I'm retired, I'll give more time. When I have more money, I'll give more money. When I learn more about the Bible, I'll share more about my faith. Let's be honest. No, you won't. If you're not a steward of the now, you won't be a steward of the then. This is a concept that is so rich in the church. If you won't be a steward of the now, you won't be a steward of the then. It'll just look different. You won't be a steward of the now. This woman shows us she's a steward of the now. She didn't look and compare with all of the other rich people who were dropping in bags of silver. She walks up with her two copper coins and puts it in because she's a steward of the now. This is what she had and this is what she gave. She was content with the level of provision she had and she was fun. You realize she had to walk back out of there the next hour and go back to the field and find some more gleanings. She put everything she had in. The people who put in the bags of silver had 10 more sitting on the dresser when they got home. She was a steward of the now. She shows that. I'll give what I have right now. I'll do with my time right now. Stewards, number one, are stewards of the now. And so if you won't be a steward of the now, you won't be a steward of the then. Two, stewards are moved by love. All the others who came that day. Now, we never see Jesus do this in Scripture again. We never see Him sit by the offering box ever again. All the others who came that day gave out of their excess, and she gave all that she had to live on. She didn't know where her next meal was coming from, or did she? She had so much faith that she knew that putting those two copper coins in that offering box wasn't going to affect her in the least, because God had been taking care of her. Can you imagine with me for a moment this widow seeing all the gold and silver, all the, the fancy clothes and all of those things going in there. And all she had in her hand were those two little copper coins. And the fact that she was a woman 
showing up at the offering box for one said something. It was a cultural statement. I don't have anyone to care for me. I am the least of these, is what the culture said about her. But what she walked in and did by putting every coin she had in her life in that offering box is saying, I am Jesus' bride. I am the bride of the Lord. And my husband takes care of me. I don't need this. He is going to provide for me. She was moved out of love. She loved the Lord so much that what she had was His and she recognized it. She might have looked down at her hand and said, these copper coins don't mean anything to anyone in this room. But the difference was she wasn't giving it for anyone in that room. Stewards don't even give because the church has a need. Stewards give because they're moved by love. They're moved by the love of Christ. They're moved by what He has done for us. They're moved by what God has provided for us. And it is my contention that Jesus was standing there for that very one purpose. So that she could be seen for the love that she had. He didn't come there to see and and gauge how many people were giving bags of silver. He came because he wanted to see his child fulfill her love. So we never see him standing in that place again. We never see him doing it before. Just at the widow's might that time is the only time we see recorded in, and John Piper said this as I was reading on this subject. He said it wasn't utility that moved her. Her coins were worthless in cultural standards. It wasn't obligation because nobody cared. It was simple love that moved her. Folks, love gives and lust takes. Love gives and lust takes. Often in our relationship with God and others, we confuse the two. That's what John Piper had to say about this. Love gives and lust takes. I even had to stop and reflect on my own relationship as I countlessly remember all of these things I've asked God for and asked God for and asked God for and I didn't get them and I get mad at Him. Lust takes, but love gives. Love says, how much can I give? And lust says, how little can I get away with? Relate that thought now to our friendships and our marriages and the relationships that we've established with people. Are we really in loving relationships with people in our community? Or are we in lustful relationships with them? Are we friends with someone because they have a truck? Are we friends with someone because they have something? It causes us to think about our level of giving. Not just financially, but everything that we give in our life. Our time, our talent, our treasure. Love gives, lust takes. And so stewards operate in love. The Holy Spirit is an unstoppable force. It is absolutely an unstoppable force. And relationships based on what a friend does for us are lust. And relationships that are based on our heart saying, what can I do for you again? She had Jesus on her mind. She had the provider on her mind. And she was operating in love. She was operating in the now, and she was operating in love. Because she said, I love you so much, and I know you provide for me. 
I'm going to give back everything I have. Thirdly, stewards see life in terms of eternity. So, we're consumed with what we can investigate when we're babies, right? <laughs> Youngins in here, you're just trying to keep them out of electric sockets, and that's why we put gates everywhere, and that's why we, like, you know, I was at the zoo one time, and I saw a woman that had her kid on one of those, like, extended cord things, and it, had, it was tied around his waist, and the kid would, and he would get, come pulling back. We're consumed with that. We're consumed with touching and seeing and, and everything. God says, hey, look at this. She drops into the offering the very last penny she has. She couldn't do that without a focus on eternity. She was operating in the now. She is operating in love. And when we focus our lives on just today, we become stingy. So she operated in the now, meaning understanding not necessarily the need of now, but the urgency of now. Being content with what she had, where she was, whatever season she found herself in. And, and we don't know. We don't know what happened to this little widow. Maybe somebody came along and married her and she became a wealthy person. We don't, we don't know. We'll know when we get to heaven and we ask her. But she operated in the now. She operated out of love, but she was focused on eternity. We focus our lives on just what is in front of us. If she was doing that, she would have kept those coins. If she was focused on, I can't let go of these, what if there's no gleanings tomorrow? What if the harvest cart doesn't come by the road I'm on? What if? But a steward sees life in terms of eternity. Like the little boy that we talked about earlier from, with the fish and the, and the loaves. She could have kept her pennies and no one would have known who she was. We're still talking about this woman today, by the way. Nobody would have known who she was. Nobody would have known who that little boy was. I would say and argue that they are still stewards to this day because of their stewardship in the now. Because of their operation out of love and because of their eternal focus. Stewards begin to see life as an investment in eternity and not in themselves. Stewards invest everything in all of it because they have an eternal focus. We're given years. We're given resources. Acts 17 talks about the boundaries and time that we've been set before us. It, it, we, you realize that before the foundation of the world, God determined you were going to live this day to this day? And He set boundaries for you? One might wonder, does this mean Jesus wants us to put everything in the offering plate each Sunday? No, I don't, I don't think that's what He's saying. I, I don't think that's the example that He's trying to establish here. That you come in, you empty out your bank account every week in, in church. That's not what he's saying. With that said, though, I think it's a valid question to ask, what if Jesus did ask you to do that? What would your heart's response be? He asked the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and follow me. He wasn't really in need of everything that the rich young ruler had. Jesus isn't after your stuff. He's after you. That's, 
That's the key here. That's what stewardship is. Jesus isn't after your stuff. He's after you. He's after your heart. He's after your mind. He's after your time. He wants all of you. And He wants what's best for you. And Sometimes our stuff is what's not best for us. Now, taking that into context, this means that Jesus wants us to give up control of our lives. He wants us to give up control of our plans. He wants us to be able to hand it all over to him, to be in his will, to pour it all out and say, everything I have is yours, Lord. All of it. So stewards operate with an eternal mindset. They see way beyond even their own boundaries that were set by the Lord. And lastly, stewards rest in the promise of God. Stewards rest in the promise of God. And when I mean rest, I mean you rest in the promise of God. Here's a woman who rested in the promise of God. She gave every penny she had because she was resting in His promise. She laid on the promise. Now, I doubt she was at His Sermon on the Mount, but if you look with me in Matthew chapter 6, We don't know. She may have been at the Sermon on the Mount. Stewards rest in the promise of God. There's a simple trust here that we often miss. She gave God all she had to live on. Because one, she recognized it was His in the first place. And two, He was going to provide for her. Because He made a promise. She was content that she was a widow living off of gleanings. It didn't mean that she didn't desire to be at the next level. But she never chased the next level. She was fine with being a widow, lavished in her terms by God who provided gleanings every day. She gave God all she had because she knew who owned everything. And so He would give her what she needed. Contentment is the key to resting in God's promise. The bar of satisfaction keeps moving all of the time. And that's why earlier the first point I made was if you're not going to be a steward of the now, you won't be a steward of the then. Because it'll always be when I. It'll always be when I. When I make this, when I have this, when I have more, and that bar constantly moves she was clearly content with being a gleaning and harvest cart widow how is she going to survive how is she going to eat how is she going to even show up at the temple the next time that they had the collection being the head of her household being in charge of her property she wasn't worried about that because she had an eternal focus, she knew her commitment was eternal, and she rested in God's promise that when she needed it, she would have it. Because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single 
hour to his lifespan. He's reminding you that your day is already determined. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes, clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God. Be eternally focused. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. This is what she rested in. She rested in the promise of God. She didn't need to be anxious about those things because He had already promised that He would provide them. So I'm not sure that this woman was present when he said these words, but she surely understood them. She surely lived them out. She surely displayed them. I'll close with this thought. How many of you getting up today worried whether there were enough trees in this area and that there were enough plants in this area to effectively take the carbon dioxide and transfer it into oxygen so that we would be able to breathe. Anybody worry about that? Did you run around collecting plants to bring with you to make sure that you had enough oxygen? God's provision is as secure as air. That's how secure His provision is. You don't even have to worry about it. Nobody got up this morning wondering whether we had enough trees to, to filter out all of the carbon dioxide so that we would have enough oxygen to breathe. We didn't even think about it. It wasn't even a thought. So when we rest in God, because we are His child, wow, man, provision is as guaranteed as air. And when asked to return these provisions to the Lord, our time, our talent, our treasure, we fear. We have fear. We're afraid. I sometimes think that the tithe concept of 10% is limiting to stewardship and friendships. I think we, we, we just, it's limiting. How well do we give our time? How well do we give our talent? How well do we give our treasure? How much time are we hoarding? What about the gospel? Just ask yourself. You can probably think right now, if I ask this question right now, you can probably almost 95% of people in church, if I said, hey, when's the last time you shared your time with someone on this, for the sake of the Lord? Oh, I built a ramp for someone who needed a wheelchair. I did this. My ta your talent. You shared your talent. And you shared your, your money. So you gave. We all we just collected offering. Everybody gave. What about the gospel? When's the last time we actually shared the gospel with another human being when we actually shared that jesus came that he died sacrificially rose victoriously and he's returning one day when's the last time we actually shared the gospel with someone and said the good news is there was a problem and god 
made himself the solution to it. He was the ultimate steward. He left perfection and came into his infected, destroyed creation, destroyed by sin, lived among it perfectly. Then said, hey, here's what I'll do. I'll take your sin, I'll take your debt that you owe my heavenly Father. I don't owe him that. I'm perfect. I'll take that and I'll go to the cross and pay your price so that when he looks at you, he's going to see me. We didn't just sing about being washed in the blood. This is the ultimate display of stewardship. This is the ultimate display of recognizing that everything is God's. You know what, God? Thank you. Because Jesus came and he was the ultimate steward. He gave everything so that we could have everything. So, the real question is, have we really been transformed by the Gospel? Have we really been changed by the Gospel? Or are we checking off our tithe checklist every week? I gave 10% of my time. I gave 10% of my talent. I gave 10% of my money. My dad was a Finnish woodwork guy. Now, those of you that know me, you know I do old barn wood and reclaim stuff. One of the reasons I do that is because you can have cracks and stuff and it's all vintage. <laughs> But my dad was a Finnish guy. He handmade cabinets. He designed and installed kitchens and bathrooms, and he built every cabinet by hand. Finnish guy. And I remember he would work on these job sites. He would, he would come home, and, he, he, and as a kid, I would, I would hear this saying, and my father loathed it. And unfortunately, I use it every once in a while. Caulk and paint, make it what it ain't. You ever heard that? Anybody in the construction business has heard, caulk and paint, make it what it ain't. My father loathed that statement. He would be so mad. If my dad had a, so much of an eighth of an inch crack where it shouldn't have been, he'd throw the whole thing away and build it again. Because he'd say, hey, measure twice, cut once, build it right, sleep at night. That's what he'd say to me. Jesus is saying to us, Hey, don't caulk and paint and make it what it ain't when it comes to stewardship. Don't pretend that your 10% checklist is, is enough. That's caulk and paint. Build it right. And you'll sleep at night. Give it all. Give everything you have. Just like this little widow who gave it all because she was a steward of the now. She, she responded in love. She had an eternal focus and she rested in the promise of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to take in, in just a short period of time and try and, and condense into these points of stewardship. Lord, remind us that you are everything. God, maybe we have people from all different walks in here people that have been Christians all their lives, people perhaps that aren't even sure they are. Lord, I love You. Forgive me for times that I have lusted after You. That I have desired from You and not for You. Forgive me, Lord, for the times that I have lusted for the people You've called me to minister to 
that they haven't done enough for me. Forgive me, Lord, because I was not loving them. I was lusting. And God, I pray right now that maybe some of us can rest in this. Even right now, You love us even if we're lusting after You. You love us even if we're lusting after You. And so God, I just pray that one, You would create a foundation of stewardship among Your people that we would give everything. We would love openly. We would have eternal mindset. We would be focused beyond our boundaries. And God, that ultimately, if there is someone here among us that doesn't know that love, that doesn't recognize that love in their life, they can't rest in all of the things we just talked about because they're not sure that You're there. Lord, I pray they solidify that today. Lord, I pray that You would shake Your body. That You would shake Your children. And that if someone has recognized a lustful way that they have been treating You, that they would change that, Lord. That their heart would be changed. That they would be transformed in the Gospel. Perhaps there's someone here who gives their talent and gives their treasure, but Lord, their, their time of giving the Gospel has feigned. They can't even remember the last time they shared the good news of the Gospel with someone. So Lord, I pray You, you shake them from that. I pray that they would rest in You. That they would rest in Your promise. That You will give them the words that they need to say. That they will just share their story. They don't need to be a theologian to share the Gospel. They just need to understand who You are. So God, I just ask that You would move, transform, and create new things in our lives. That we would be stewards who are stewards of the now, responding in love, eternally focused, and resting in Your promise. In Your name I pray. Amen. Thank you, God.